out to hear my conversation with their chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about recent central bank activity, including why the Fed paused, why the Bank of Canada hiked, and also some other bank actions in different jurisdictions, how the portfolio is positioned in order to take advantage of these actions. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. I'm back with my regular contributor, Dustin Reed, who's our Chief Fixed Income Strategist. Dustin, welcome back. Thanks very much for having me. Good to be here. Um, we are in the midst of interesting times. It feels like uh, I've said that a lot about fixed income markets over the past uh, year or two, uh, but uh, very interesting. Uh, we're recording this on the 15th of June, just after the Fed meeting uh, yesterday, where they decided to, to pause or skip or however you'd like to, to frame it. They didn't, they didn't raise uh, interest rates for the first time in some time. Dustin, love to get your take on, on the Fed, what led to that decision, uh, and, and uh, maybe some just more commentary around yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's there's been a lot to a lot to look at and a lot to play for. These are great these are great macro markets to trade um, within fixed income, and and definitely other asset classes. Um, the Fed always keeps it interesting, and they absolutely did uh, this week. So as you said, yes, uh, opting to not hike rates for the first time I think since uh, late Q1 of last year. Um, and we saw Powell not, not in the formal uh, statement, but in the press conference, use the term skip. Uh, so they and they definitely migrated away from the pause language over the last three weeks or so towards right. skip, and you saw a lot of the uh, participants and voters uh, you know, lean on that. The big surprise going into sorry, the big surprise I think coming out of yesterday was that the Fed upped the uh, the median uh, dot, so to speak, or expectation for where Fed funds, the key policy rate, should be by the end of 23 by 50 basis points. And I think most in the market, I would say including myself, expected uh, a 25 increase in the in the dots, not not in the meeting itself. Right. And uh, we were talking internally about an outside chance of maybe going to 50 and at the maybe 10, 15% probability neighborhood. So pretty small, definitely not not a, not a zero but but pr- pretty low so anyway that that happened and when you look at the dispersion of estimates um in the in in the in the statement of economic projections the dots the dot plots so to speak quite quite hawkish you had uh uh you had 12 of 18 participants uh increase their dot or at least i should say expect uh an increase of another 50 basis points or more before year end um and that that's significant so 12 of 18 nine of the 12 were at 50 and three of the 12 expected more than 50 by year end and that's not insignificant because to state the obvious um there there were no dissents yesterday so after yesterday's meeting there are four meetings left for the rest of the year only four so if you've got 12 of 18 people expecting effectively two hikes assumingly two by 25 and not one by 50 but two by 25 or more within four meetings i mean that that's pretty like that's a relatively short runway right this isn't this isn't december where you have a longer runway for a whole calendar year you only have half a calendar year so presumably that is 
quite serious in terms of you know people think that 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 view is going to be quite accurate right it would be odd it would be odd to do something not absolutely late in the year but relatively late in the year half of the year is done to to essentially pull it back later so my point is the dots are just the the notional increase is important for sure and that's a big takeaway but the timing of it should not be lost on anybody because it makes a difference that it's happening now and not in December. So I think that is pretty significant. So we had been leaning towards this comeback idea, take a skip uh, in this month and then come back. We had been kind of leaning a bit more towards September to be totally fair, but it, it became a little more apparent in the last couple of weeks that the horse trading around this meeting and skipping this meeting for the Hawks to be, um, you know, pacified, so to speak, they would be coming back likely in July. So I think that, I think that July is very, very likely and they'll do 25. And I think the question now is what, what does it look like from here? And I think that, you know, the Fed is trying to gear down, so to speak, the next evolution of the hiking cycle. And I think that the Fed wants to, and it may or may not be successful, but the Fed wants to try and go every other meeting here. So I think July and then skip September and then go, it sounds like a long way away and it is, but uh, it would be November 1st. The, 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 the meeting after that's an October 31st. Uh, November 1st meeting, and then there's, of course, the December meeting. And what makes it kind of somewhat interesting is that if that's true, the Fed's going to be going on the non-forecast meetings, which I, I call, I said to the team, I call it the inside-out strategy. Because generally, and even in the last leadership of the Fed, you, you typically be going at the, the forecast meetings right. and not, not necessarily going at the non-forecast meetings. Although there's obviously a press conference at every meeting, unlike the Bank of Canada, where we don't get a press conference um, at the non-forecast meetings. So I think that's a little interesting. So why like, why would the Fed do that? Because that kind of goes against, not the textbook per se, but just kind of general, that's how things work. And one of the shops had a really good point yesterday on this. So it's not, not my idea per se, but I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense and kind of dovetails and uh, solidifies why this is happening. The, and you could tell in the press conference that the, clearly the leadership of the Fed is still, for, for obvious reasons, very concerned that there might still be a banking issue, financial system issue in the background, right? And right. arguably the SVB stuff in March, higher rates caused that. I mean, you can talk about ALM management and or, or non or, or what have you, but clearly higher rates are having an impact on regional banks and, 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 and small banks. And the way the, the schedule works out is that the senior loan officer survey, uh, the way those get released, which is a really good deep dive as to how uh, the banking system is performing, uh, kind of lines up with the the non-press conference meeting. Sorry, let me try that again. The non-forecast meetings at the Fed. So that makes a lot of sense when you say, ah, if you're still concerned about the banking side, I mean, things I think are coming off the peak, obviously. We haven't had a major issue here in a while. Sure. Um, but it's still a, a concern and you're still hiking rates. They're obviously not at low levels. We're in the mid fives here for Fed funds. Yeah, this is sure. not this is not low. Then we want to keep an eye on it. So if we have the latest um, if we have the latest senior loan officer data or survey uh, in hand then we can make better informed decisions. And that seems to line up with the non-forecast meeting. So that's why I think they might be doing 
at least they're, they think they're going to try and do an inside out strategy. I mean, maybe they don't get there and the data effectively doesn't allow them to do that second hike on November 1st, which, you know, is a long time from now. That's four and a half months from now. But yeah. um, I think that's how they're looking at it. So I would look at that as wouldn't quite, as I was saying to the team this morning, I wouldn't quite call it base case per se, but I would call it working assumption. And I think that that's the working assumption. And let's see how things evolve and we'll kind of toggle um, from from that perspective. The other one small thing I'll say about the Fed, and then we can dig into it more if you want. Um, sure. It's clear that the the forecasts beyond the dots are, are moving in the direction that would suggest more hikes. So, you know, we were expecting these things to happen. So core PCE revised higher versus March for 23. The unemployment rate revised lower for 23 versus March. And then GDP revised higher. All those three things would suggest that the labor market and the economy in general is running hotter than you know expected three months ago. And that may suggest that the amount, even though the, they've done a fair bit, uh, there still needs to be more, still needs to be more to go. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting, kind of got lost in, in the noise yesterday was that the long-term rate, the Fed's long-term rate, which has been at two and a half percent for a long for for a long period of time? Not only do they do that, the 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 estimate, like a point estimate, but there's also a central tendency around the range, like a central range tendency around the the dot, the point estimate, so to speak. Okay. And that that central tendency moved up a little bit, so that it's clear that there are some members at the Fed uh, on the FOMC who who think that the the level of uh, what would constitute the level of um, uh, easy of of of, uh, of restrictive rates is maybe not the level which they thought before. The level that would actually restrain growth in the economy is a higher notional level of interest rates than maybe what they thought before, and that's interesting because if that's true, then again that dovetails into the uh, more needs to be done. There needs to be two more by two by 25 done this year. Um, and, uh, and it also underscores the higher for longer narrative. So kind of parse through a lot of that stuff. And it, it, it seems to suggest that there's you know, clearly there, they want to be cautious, but they feel like there's more at this point in the cycle, still there's, there's more work to do. So that's yeah, great. That's, that's kind of my, my big take on the fed there. Maybe just one quick follow-up question. Um, you, you put forward a lot of, uh, call it hawkish rhetoric, uh, with uh, more um, uh, rates being priced in, uh, and it sounds like rightly required in, in some cases, uh, given the core CP, unemployment, GDP, uh, all uh, um, suggesting that more rates are needed. Uh, but I guess my question is, uh, why why skip them? I mean, isn't it is right. it a little too cute by half to say, okay, not this month, but next month we're going to do twenty five? Like, I guess I just don't understand the motivation. The Fed really, and people have, are saying this, and I, <clears throat> I absolutely get it. It is it's probably the question of of the week, and I it makes a lot of sense. My my answer is, again, doesn't matter what I think per se, but what I think the Fed sure. thinks, and I think the Fed, the Fed wants to, in its own way, communicate that we are entering a new. Uh, a new era of the cycle. And while rates need to go higher, they don't need to go higher at consecutive meetings. We can, we can move to, we can gear down, so to speak, and move to a pace where every other meeting 
is is appropriate and we'll see how we'll see how the data evolves so the fed's effectively saying and maybe 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 the market's not getting it per se but the fed doesn't want the market to think that it needs it's at a point from a restrictive perspective that it needs to continue to go at every meeting it wants to be able to say every other every other meeting we think is the appropriate cadence at this point and that's that's kind of a tough that's kind of a tough thing to get around given that particularly because they raised the 23 dots by 50 basis points not even right. 25 yeah exactly it makes it look it makes the skip look even more odd um but i think that's i think that's the message they want to they want to impart and i think that they want to go slowly a lot of reasons for the a lot of it is because of the banking or risk around the banking or financial sector and liquidity and we obviously have quantitative tightening happening you know in the background and we have this massive uh liquidity draw uh happening uh because the treasury government sorry treasury uh, general account right uh which is the treasury's savings account so to speak their checking account that sits at the fed is massively depleted and they're issuing a ton of very short end paper and that in a nutshell is uh removing liquidity from the banking system so you've got uh you've got that happening you've got the the risk of higher rates Right, and and you have quantitative tightening all happening at the same time. So this is it's it's ginger, but the Fed has a mandate, and it's a dual purpose mandate. Inflation, they are missing their mandate. Uh, core PCE is now expected to be three point nine percent by the end of this year, and that is unacceptable. Like the, the target is two percent. It's almost it's almost two x. So the Fed's looking at one hand and saying, "Oh wow, like we're really." risking it here there's a few things that can go pretty wrong pretty fast but we have a mandate and our central mandate i mean besides the regulation stuff is full employment and uh core pce around around two percent and uh they are they are missing they are missing on those mandates right and so i think that all the net of that is to basically we're entering a new phase of the cycle. You know, we're, you know, it's not see you in September, which was my kind of tagline. You know, maybe coming out of of the May meeting, but it's you know we will we will see you again, and uh, it's just not going to be, you know, every six weeks. Got it. Um, makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, when we take a look uh, inside of U.S. inside of the Fed, uh, a lot of central bank action uh, over the past call it two weeks, um, and uh, I'd say generally there's been a resurgence of hawkish hawkishness. Uh, yeah. In light of uh, fairly sticky inflation, uh, you saw that in Australia. You certainly saw it here in Canada. Uh, ECB uh, as well. Um, love to get your take on sort of central banks around the world in this uh, uh, reinvigorating hiking cycle. Um, what do you think uh, the the duration of this is? Is it appropriate? Uh, any comments you have? It's a it's a great question. It's one of the it's definitely one of the key macro questions of uh, of I wouldn't even say the moment of kind of the quarter and maybe going into the second half of the year. This this resurgence uh, of central bank hawkishness in some not not for everybody but for some um, on inflation that really has obviously obviously not been proven to be um, uh, transitory whatsoever, right? And that was that was very really much our view. 
in 21 and uh you know here we are midway through 23 and it looks very sticky and structural not just here domestically in canada but in north america for sure when especially when you look at a core level and i would also say in in europe whether that's the uk or continental europe um japan even for japan is looking a, a little frothy on a relative basis and as you as you pointed out you know australia uh, also looking pretty frothy and i was just looking at the new zealand numbers this morning and they're on an annual basis you know they're not far uh, off the peak. I mean, they basically just peak in the last couple of months. So hmm. you see, you see, you to your point, uh, exactly. You see a trend, you, you see a trend, uh, globally. And I think that, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's going to be with us for a bit here. The view, the view from, from myself. And I think the majority of people on, on the fixed income team, McKenzie has been that, uh, inflation is becoming quite sticky and structural, particularly on a core perspective. And it's going to take a lot of work to uh, to get that out. And, uh, you know, we had the RBA uh, decision uh, earlier last week where they surprised again for the second meeting in a row. So the Reserve Bank of Australia hiked by 25, uh, which was generally not expected by the market, maybe by maybe by about a, th- a quarter to a third of the market. So a okay. bit of a surprise. And that's the second meeting in a row where they hiked by 25. That, that was somewhat surprising to the market. Uh, so that, that tells you something. And then, of course, the bank here last week um, opted to hike by 25. Uh, and we, we had been looking for the bank to come back after having paused since January. We were, we were targeting the, the July meeting for a handful of reasons, which I think we went through on the last, on the last podcast. But the bank uh, here uh, jumped the gun a little bit and obviously, and obviously hiked by, by 25. Kind of to your question before, which is, you know, why – you know, why would you wait? So I think the bank probably had the why would you wait kind of kind of view. Uh, but the bank had obviously already been on hold here for about five months since January, right. while the Fed obviously has been basically going consistently, consecutively since, uh, I think, since March of last year. So a, l- a little bit different, but, uh, but, but interesting nonetheless. And so I think that we're, you know, I think that we're in a at a minimum, I think we're in for a period of higher for longer. A lot of it is going to depend on whether these banks, these central banks, are going to take their their mandate seriously. Which, which, what what I mean by that is, do you really believe in two percent right. uh, inflation? Because if you don't, then you can probably start easing rates a little bit sooner. But if you really believe in getting inflation on an annual basis, and I would say not only just it's not just like touching the wall and running away. You have to kind of get it there and make sure it's going to stay there. Um, then these banks are going to be at a minimum higher for longer. And we still have probably not seen the peak in policy rates, which means that, uh, you know, from a curve perspective and a market's perspective, some of these trades that we were looking at for big macro themes for H2 are probably a little early. Um because because these because the banks are probably going to keep hiking so you know instead of seeing the steepener trades broadly speaking from a curve shape perspective these so-called flattener trades are probably a little going to be a little bit more in vogue and we backed off a few weeks ago we backed off the some some of those uh, some of those macro themes that we were talking about a few months ago just because right. it looked like we were probably a little bit early and uh, and the data and the and the commentary and kind of the 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 conversations we were having were seemed to suggest that we're going to be running going to be running running a bit a bit longer here on the higher for longer uh, narrative. So for example, on the Bank Canada side, the market has uh, at least when I when I looked earlier this morning, 
the market had about 40 basis points still worth of pricing for the bank. Uh, and that goes all the way through year end. So forget this idea of the bank easing before year end. Uh, right. The bank, the bank, the bank's expected to hike in in some in some fashion. I mean, you can kind of you have to pick your dates, but the point is, you know, the December OIS contracts effectively pricing in forty basis points, which would be essentially one and a half twenty one and a half twenty five basis point hikes, right? So if they go in July, that that means that there's a fifty fifty chance that they're going to go after after July. So I think. You know things like that. I think are really, I think are really important. Obviously, big driver for global macro trades, which we obviously focus on, and particularly within the fixed income and FX space. Um, so, there's been a lot of interesting kind of uh, themes and trades to have, um, you know, ar- around that from a short-term tactical perspective in the last couple of weeks. That's great, uh, great context, Dustin. Love to focus uh, just a little bit more on Bank of Canada, uh, just being our domestic uh, market, really important to uh, our listeners, and of course, uh, sure. you and the team. Um, and, and maybe I'd like to, I think we had great uh, commentary on what's been priced in by uh, Bank of Canada. I'd love to shift uh, to talk a little bit about uh, inflation and sort of sticky inflation. Um, and in the context of Canada, the comments probably will apply more generally. What do you think has to break uh, to see that sticky inflation uh, melt away? I mean, we've had record employment. You've had really good uh, profit margins out of a lot of firms. Yeah. Um, is it a combination of, of everything or is there one particular metric, one particular area that you're looking uh, as a leading indicator? It's a, yeah, it's a great question. So I think, I think the, I think the core metrics are important and they count and they count for a lot. Um, and so energy and food, at least from a, a first level, direct level, obviously do not impact uh, core. Now, obviously right. from a, a second, a second derivative, um, you know, uh, transportation costs and, you know, all those things that go into, uh, you know, the, the price of goods and, and services, you know, that, that, that then gets put into the core basket and you see it. But I think that, um, I think that we're going to need to see core come a fair bit lower. These, these 0.3s, 0.4s, 0.5s on a monthly basis, month over month in core, is not is not going to cut it that we need to probably get back to point twos in the round and, right. and i would say you know even even maybe the odd point one uh but these point instead of these point threes point fours need to be more consistently at point twos and that i mean i know some people are going to say that sounds ridiculous i mean you're splitting hairs by a tenth of you know a tenth of one of one and it doesn't really or one tenth and you know but but when you annualize these things, it adds yeah. up, and it's the difference between running at three and a half a year or four a year, and running at maybe two or the low or low twos a year, and that counts. At least, again, putting myself in the shoes of the banks, uh, the central banks, that count that one percentage point difference, if if they are to be believed, counts, and. Uh, and it is fair that to say that you know if you're running at three percent inflation versus two percent inflation for a long period of time, five years, ten years, fifteen years, that has a big impact on a compound perspective. You know, it sure. eats away, it erodes its savings. Um, it has it, it. It really, it really impacts the way the the way people spend and think and how prices go and long-term inflation expectations and all those sorts of things. So I think from a, from a Canada perspective, we're going to need to go lower. Now, now, now Tiff Macklem, the governor of the bank, a few months ago, maybe six, seven weeks ago, 
had this great comment, which was a take in many ways on what we've been saying since 21. Our, 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 our tagline, which I've said, I'm sure a number of times on these uh, podcasts is, you know, getting from 8% to five is one thing getting from five to two is quite another. So Tiff, Tiff said, getting effectively said getting to three percent is one thing getting to two percent is going to be quite another and so it goes right to the heart of i think your question and and just how we're how we're talking about it and it and and subsequently to that um because uh i believe i believe uh he spoke um the day after the uh the the boc meeting last week and you know again he he seemed to suggest that the bank is not going to relinquish its its mandate of getting to two percent, uh, and and to that I say we'll see, we'll see where the economy is running at that point and where what the what the reaction function is going to be. Like, what's the cost in the economy? What's the cost in the labor market? Uh, what's the cost in the housing market um, to get from three percent to two percent? Because you know, like I've said before. I think 2% is important and I think it's a good number, but it is just a number, sure. right? That number could be one and a half percent, right? Sure. That number could be two and a half percent. That number could be 3%. That number could be 1%. The right number is probably low single digits. I mean, that's right. where a, 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 an open market economy, capitalist open market economy should probably be targeting inflation. You know, but is that number one, one and a half, two, two and a half, three? Sure. That is that that like there are many there are many answers to that question. But you know, the Bank of New Zealand in the early '90s basically came out and said we're going to do this at two percent, and a lot of other banks followed, and, and and you know, here we are in 2023. So I think you know, to I think the bank needs to see core inflation prints that are consistently around 0.2 a month, give or take. And to get there, I think we're going to need to see a lot less spending power in the economy. The labor market is, even though we had a relatively weak labor print for the last um, uh, the last one, which was this past Friday, uh, which would have been the May, the May data, it was a negative number. There was actually net jobs lost for for the economy. It was the first negative print, I think, since since August of last year. So the economies and, and, and a lot of the prints have been very, very strong. Labor market's doing very, very well. And obviously, when people have jobs, the unemployment rate's relatively low. People feel like they have spending power. They sure. have probably a little bit of moving power. In the US, we call it the quits rate. You know, Do you feel like you can quit your job and go somewhere else and not only get something relatively quick, but probably get more money? And generally, that that view is yes. And that what, what do people do? People spend when you feel that you've got that you know that um, you know that ability, right? That freedom, those degrees of freedom. So people spend on services, people spend on goods. You know, there's the reason why airline fares are you know very very expensive. Sure. There's a reason why hotels are really expensive, right? There's a reason why um, you know a lot of things and services that you've probably gone and spent money on in the last you know, last month are, is significantly higher, significantly higher than what you may have paid a year or two ago, and not just some. You know, six percent versus a year ago, what the headline inflation says. But you know, like the service that you had to, uh, you know, get a haircut or you know, get get uh, I know all, all those things that people that people do. It's not six percent. It's ten percent. It's fifteen percent, and that and yeah. that follows through. So I think the bank is aware that it needs to get the labor market back into equilibrium. Get wages to a bit more normal pace from a from a, a nominal wage perspective, and that probably means keeping rates 
um, higher for longer. So there's a lot of things that needs to happen. Uh, you know, and that, that story is not dissimilar in other economies too, but here specifically, sure. yeah. I think that that's, that's the case. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that the bank is not going to want to take it all the way down to 2% because I think the, the difficulties imparted on the economy to get from, assuming we can even get to 3%, but getting from 3% to 2% are going to be, are going to be quite severe. But right. we're a long way from that at this point, and the market has uh, clearly adjusted its view, and I think rightly so. That's great. A um, lot of uh, great uh, commentary that we've got through so far. Uh, how do you translate that into actual trades in the portfolio? What have you been doing uh, uh, lately, you and the team, of course? Yeah, for sure. So the team's been exceptionally busy with um, kind of the the evolving narrative here that's gone a little a little bit back and forth, um, and it's been really fascinating and interesting and challenging. Um, there are a lot of interesting trades happening right now. Generally speaking, um, touch on a few of these. So we, when it comes to duration, we still, uh, we still like, generally speaking, like holding re- what we would call real, real duration versus nominal duration. So tips in the US, real return bonds, or, or globally, the term would be called linkers, right. basically getting paid for inflation. And again, this is along this idea that inflation is sticky slash structural, higher for longer. Um, and, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if your bond, if your 30 year bond is yielding 4%, and your inflation rate is 4%, you know, do you want to be holding do you want to be holding that bond because inflation's eating away at a lot of the return, uh, or at least a lot of the carry? And a lot, you know, a lot of people are not are not comfortable having that. So that's that's, or you know, the the, the on the nominal curve. So that's why we tend to like not always, but often duration when we're buying duration uh, in in real, particularly in the G10 space. So we continue to be quite overweight uh, in U.S. tips in particular. Um, in the longer end of the curve in uh, treasury inflation protected securities tips. But we also continue to hold a decent position in Canada on what, what are called, it's, it's not an exciting name, but literally called real return bonds. Um, sure. And then once in a while, we also do some stuff in, in Europe as well, uh, the, the linkers, uh, so to speak. So that that's, you know, in any fixed income portfolio, probably the most important thing is getting your duration call correct, both the number and kind of where, where you're placing it. So we spend obviously a lot, a lot of time on, do we have the duration call uh, correct? So that that's kind of the, the big one always. Um, from more short term, and that's kind of more a structural trade that we would have on for quarters, you know, one, two, three quarters longer. Um, so that, and then something that might be a bit more short-term tactical, um, going into the meeting yesterday, the Fed meeting, we liked the idea of the Fed being pretty hawkish and suggesting that it would come back. To be fair, I, I would say the Fed, again, probably surprised more hawkish than I would have expected. But um, so what, we, what we've been doing is being short the front end of the, of the, of the, um, of the U.S. Uh, uh, nominal curve, so right. prices lower, yields higher, and we've been tactically trading in and out of that, but generally being short, um, so looking for higher yields. And I think that's that's still a, a decent trade here, particularly with what uh, the Fed has has given us um, yesterday. The Japan trade continues to be very much a part of our book. Um, haven't talked about Japan too much today, but just quick. Um, uh, we do have we do have a meeting this week, but I do think that uh, a Bank of Japan meeting this week. But I think that July remains relatively live. 
for the bank, the Bank of Japan, to tweak its uh, yield curve control policy. And we're, we're still very, very short uh, Japanese government bond futures. So again, prices lower, yields higher on the idea that uh, the cap, particularly around the 10-year space in, in Japanese government bonds, would move from at least 50 basis points to 75 basis points, if not 100. Right. And you would see a pretty, a pretty significant move there. Another move, another thing that we've been looking at and spending a fair bit of time at on the team is is China, uh, and in particular, um, what's happening in terms of its easing cycle. So, you know, given what we've said for the last, where are we here, half hour or so, which has generally been higher for longer, inflation, etc. China is the other side of that, right? China yeah. is uh, counter to many other cycles right now. Right. Its inflation rate is barely above zero and intermediate prices, PPI, uh, is, is quite negative. I think at least minus 4% on an annual hmm. basis. So there's debatably a deflationary issue in China. And we have been looking for China to re-engage on what I would call the more orthodox policy set uh, for a bit. Uh, they've been doing a lot of tweaks around the margin and a lot of spending more on the fiscal side. And I've been thinking they needed to kind of slot back into the more orthodox, we need to start easing rates. And so we saw a little bit of tweaking on the margin with bank deposit rates last week, uh, some state banks, and then they came in with non-state banks. And then they... Um, they surprisingly cut the triple R rate earlier this week. And just overnight last night, they not somewhat surprisingly, given that they tweaked the triple R rate earlier this week, they cut the MLF rate, the medium-term hmm. lending facility rate this week. And I expect them to be uh, easing the, the the loan the loan prime rate uh, as well next week. So we're seeing the beginning, at least for this mini part of the cycle, the beginning of another round, I think, of easing. And I think that's really interesting. So generally, not always, but generally... Uh, those are good places to buy uh, duration, right. um, but the uh, sorry the, the Chinese government curve is a relatively low yielding curve. So you know, do you want to take that much risk for what you get? Uh, so we continue to hold a relatively significant amount of um, what I would call high yield uh, prop in uh, property sector uh, uh, exposure. Um, not massive, but but a decent size throughout uh, some of our portfolios within the fixed income uh, team, and that's another way to play uh, lower right. rates, right? If if rates are lower, then obviously housing market, everyone knows the story and the links. So um, obviously uh, China high yield is a little bit little bit different, a little bit higher beta, but it's not a bad way to get some exposure to potentially a, a prolonged lower rate environment. So anyway, so all that to basically say, we're spending a little more time on China, uh, not only but not only the sovereign, but uh, but the high yield and the property sector as another way to kind of make some some short term uh, some short term alpha. And the last one I'll speak about just really quick is we've we've been adding a lot on uh, uh, emerging market, so not not including China hmm. per se, but but EM local currency debt. We like the real yield capture. I think we may have talked about it before, but Brazil. I mean, back when we started doing this, was you get a real yield capture of 700 basis points, right. real yield of 700 basis points, right? And that that trade's actually done quite quite well for us, and we're still in it, and we're in it in size. And we also have it in Mexico as well. The real yield capture is not quite as high, but it is still quite quite good and we like it even though the fed might be hiking rates that real yield capture is so good that we think it will 
outweigh the risk of maybe the Fed hiking rates uh, a little bit more. And generally, <laughs> a stronger dollar and a Fed that's hiking rates is not great for EM local currency debt. Um, but we think it might be a bit of an exception this cycle. So we're in it and the carry is phenomenal at 700 basis points in Brazil and a little bit less for uh, Mexico. And that's an outsized position for us in our global funds, hmm. uh, our unconstrained fund, and even our, our core plus fund has has a little bit, not not massive, but just a little bit from a from a from a yield kicker perspective. So we kind of look at all these global uh, opportunities and put them, you know, wherever we think it's best for for our clients. And even if it if it sits in core plus, we you know we're comfortable comfortable doing that. So yeah, so those are some of the the big ones. I could go on, but uh, we'd be here for a while. But let me let me leave it there. Sounds great. Dustin, I really appreciate you taking the time, really explaining uh, motivations behind uh, central bankers here at uh, a fairly interesting uh, juncture in the sort of global markets and uh, also how to express that in your portfolio. So thanks again for spending the time and I'm sure we'll chat soon. That sounds great. Thanks for having me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 